0: Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com/papertarian.
1: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of Steel Battery Tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK systems X through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
2: It's time for a big blue kickoff line.
3: Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you
2: did On Giants.com. You know
1: what I saw?
2: New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app.
1: 17-14 is the final. What?
2: Of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go
1: on there like a
3: bunch
2: of crazy
4: dogs Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to break down all that is happening with the New York Giants in multiple ways. You'd interact with us here on the program. Give us a ring, option A, 201 939 4513. Option B, Hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of the show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash Did you tell them they could get a Skyrider too? No, I did not. That's why I leave you to You fill only in have details. limited yes. characters,
1: though, with a Skyrider. You don't have as many as you do on Twitter. Just so you know.
4: I didn't know you were oh, such a very social costly. media expert. I wasn't they're very costly. Aware
1: characters on a Skyrider are very costly
4: little things you pick up here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, apparently. (laughs) Can I transition to the topic at hand? Or would you like to add anything else to the table? Sal's
1: pasta is getting cold. I'm
4: sure. There we go. One food analogy for you people counting at home. So we are planning at some point in this conversation to look ahead to the upcoming opponents. And in week six, it's going to be the Giants and the Bills in Buffalo. On Sunday Night Football, as we continue our opponent preview, and we bring in the man who has covered the Bills for some time. He's the sideline reporter on the Bills Radio Network, also covers the team inside and out, and you can hear him on WGR in Buffalo, none other than Sal Capaccio. Sal, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino, long time no speak. Hope all is well. How's everything <laughs> on your end? All oh, is
0: great. Love being on with you guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. I hope you're having a great summer down there because it's going to ramp up very, very soon. And then all our summers are over and it's nonstop football, which is not a bad thing,
4: of course. Indeed. We are not complaining from that standpoint. The NFL clock is always ticking. And before you know it, we're going to be back in the midst of football. So let's start from a big picture perspective. Clearly a disappointing finish, Sal, for the team last season based on the loss of the Cincinnati Bengals. And I know I'm sure we'll get into some of the drama surrounding the team, but What my takeaway was of Josh Allen, the elbow injury clearly took a toll on him. And the red zone turnovers, I thought, were an absolute killer. How do you think he's going to go about fixing those issues? And is the elbow issue anything that could linger and be a concern entering this season?
0: No, the elbow's fine. Um, He didn't even need surgery. Uh, He just needed a little bit of rest, which is what he got. They looked into all that. You know, I would say that even at the end of last season, into the playoffs, his elbow was good. He said that he really didn't start to feel himself until then. But you're right. I think it really impacted him. It impacted the offense. It really, more than anything, impacted their play calling and what they could do for, you know, about eight, nine weeks since he got hurt uh, against the Jets that day at the Meadowlands. So it was definitely an issue uh, for the entire offense. But that said, guys, they still were the second highest scoring offense in the league. They were still putting up a lot of points on a weekly basis because they have talent, and Josh was still able to fight through it. In a lot of ways and they just kind of had to uh, change the game and tailor it as far as the red zone is concerned that was a very big issue early in the season they cleaned a lot of that up as the season went on. in fact i think the first half of the season the bills are one of the worst red zone teams in the league the second half they were one of the best red zone teams in the league but that just happened also i'm sorry just happened because they were starting to run the ball better down there they couldn't run the ball very well in the red zone uh obviously josh is a big factor of what they do there a couple were a little bit of bad luck turnovers like one against the um Lions on Thanksgiving, was ball was batted in the air off the line. Those things happen. Uh, but the Bills really did a good job as the season went on in the red zone. But I always say this. You know, Josh Allen, as you guys know, he just wants to win the Super Bowl at every play, right? So I don't know if it's necessarily about cleaning up the red zone. It's mostly cleaning up just certain decisions he makes once in a while that you say, you know what, you didn't have to force that. You didn't have to do that. But at the same time, if you take that stuff away from Josh Allen, you, in a lot of ways, take away his best attributes, which are making things happen when it normally shouldn't happen. So it's always a tough balance when it comes to Josh.
1: As an extension of what you just said, Sal, let me go to the running part of his game. Look, everybody who listens to this program knows how leery I get about running quarterbacks. I don't mind if you're running to buy time like Fran Tarkenton did back in the day, but when you're running to get positive yardage, you put yourself in harm's way. Now, Allen... He's had some durability. We talked about the arm, the elbow this past year. Okay. Ran the ball eight times a game last year, which was the most in his NFL career. Are they going to change their approach in terms of his selective running with the Giants have the same situation here with, with uh, Daniel Jones. He runs too much for my taste. I don't think a quarterback should ever run the ball. And my number of comfort is four. If he runs the ball more than four times a game, I'm getting real nervous.
3: Well, this goes
0: back, Paul, to what I said a little while ago. I think how much do you want to take away from Josh Allen, which his best attributes or what makes him a league MVP candidate and one of the best QBs in the league, or is his ability to get third downs and shorts and fourth downs and shorts when you need it. I, I think, you know, calling, calling run plays. You know, it's something they did dial back a little bit last year. But once Josh gets back there, if he sees something, he's going to take off. He's going to do mm-hmm. it. To be quite honest, I think, you know, you have to have that sometimes. That's what makes him special. It's the best way to get the first down. What really has to happen, and look, Sean McDermott has talked about this a lot. He said, what has to happen is Josh has to have more of a an understanding of when to take those risks and when not to. Um, it's not even about running less necessarily. It's about smarter running. It's about getting out of bounds. It's about not hurling over a defender, it's not
1: yeah. running
0: through sure. a defender. You don't need to do that in week number three in the third quarter. No doubt. You know, when, it, when it comes time in week number 15 or 16 and something's on the line that's a big fourth down, well, you know what? you got to do whatever you can to get that first down. But the honest truth is, Josh Allen may be the best goal line back in the league, guys. I mean, that's just <laughs> what he what he is. Yeah. So, I mean, why do you want to take it, that away from the offense? It's such a delicate balance. But Sean also Sean also has said, and he's admitted, look, as long as Josh Allen's the quarterback and he's the head coach, he'll be saying that every year because there's just always going to be times where he's going to run and you're not going to feel comfortable with it, but it's going to be necessary. But we, the Bills want him to last. They want his career to last to be able to play at that high level. But that's part of him playing at a high level.
1: I will say this to both of you guys, Russell Wilson was much more uh, aggressive with his running his first few years in Seattle, and then as time went on, he realized that if he was going to last in this league, he had to cut down on that. Of course, the Mm -hmm. problem in Seattle is that the offensive line crumbled, and he took a beating anyway. Sure. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah,
0: for sure. And look, guys, one of the things the Bills did this offseason, in fact, just today, I actually went and did a uh, little graph. on on my my Twitter page about like who was out and who was in from last year to this year and one of the things that stands out is the turnover at offensive line mm-hmm. now not necessarily in the, up front with the five starters but depth and what they did was they really kind of focused on getting more help for Josh up front so he doesn't have to be put in these situations i think what happened last year as the season went on guy josh felt a little bit of pressure early and he took off and that's where you get into the situations you were just talking about where maybe if he can stay in the pocket an extra you know half second to a second maybe he can dump it off, find someone to throw it to instead of feeling like he has to run.
4: Well, Sal, let's transition and delve into that depth that you're referring to on the offensive line. They add Connor McGovern from the Cowboys. They brought in David Edwards from the Rams, and they drafted Osiris Torrance in the second round. I mean, I think those are the three most notable additions. If there's any spot on the offensive line that is open, it's left guard. Does McGovern come in and run with that? Is there somebody else in the mix? How do you see the dynamics of that playing out?
0: Well, two of these three players will start. It'll be Connor McGovern, Ryan Bates, and Osiris Torrance. Two of them will start. The other will be basically a swing guard. I think it's still going to be McGovern and Bates. Bates has been a starter here for the Bills the last couple of years. Yep. He also can play center, though, which really helps this team, right? Um, it's kind of the John Feliciano role here and in New York. As you guys know, he can kind of play both spots. The Bills like having these guys who can play up and down the line. Bates can also play tackle if you need him in a pinch. But the Bills don't love to rush offensive linemen into the starting lineup, um, you know, rookies, and they don't have to. And I, if Osiris Torrance can win that job, that would be great for him, but it might be an indictment more on one of the others. I can't see McGovern not starting yet after the money they gave him. They went out and target him in free agency. Um, he was an early free agent signing. So I think McGovern starts, and I would think Bates does. They gave him a nice contract last year to match it when he was an RFA and the Bears gave him an offer, um, and now he's in year two of that deal. But, you know, as a second-round pick, Osiris Torrance will have some opportunity, but I see him more as probably a, um, a swing backup guy. And then they have Ike Butker, who's the other guy in that position, where I think they feel really good about what they have. And if Mitch Moore, something happens to him at center, who's a, a mainstay, but he's had concussions, um, you can move a guy like Ryan Bates to center and then slide one of those other guys
1: to guard. Let's go to the running game, Sal. I know that James Cook uh, showed some things during his rookie season. They bring in Damian Harris from the Patriots. Injuries kind of sidetracked him some last year, but a couple of years ago he had over 900 yards rushing with the Patriots. Are we looking at a two-headed backfield here?
0: You know, I think with the Bills it's always a, a bit of a different caveat because they just don't run the ball as much as both teams with their running backs. We just talked about Josh, right? He's That's a big right. part of yeah. their running game. The Bills, really, they, they kind of go by committee. But I would say it this way, guys. Um, you look at, look at past history. Last few years, Devin Singletary has been the bills lead back. However, that being said, as the bills lead back, he still was 30th in the NFL in carries last year. Right? So the lead back in the bills doesn't really, isn't really like a normal lead back. I think that's going to be James cook this year. I think James cook basically replaces Devin Singletary. He's going to be the lead back. He's going to get the majority carries, but now you have Damien Harris. You can lean on him. You can have him be a, a, a guy to put in, in certain situations. He's a tough runner. He's not the biggest, but he is tough. Um, He's got a little bit of speed. We saw that in that wind Monday night game a couple years ago, that 70 plus yard run in Buffalo uh, that he had. So he's got some skill. And I do think the injury thing, you know, is something to be mindful of, right. That he's had some injuries. So you don't want that to happen. I'll give you a great stat on James cook. It's pretty amazing. I don't think people realize this. James cook only had 89 carries last year. He started to get the ball more. The, um, to to qualify for like lead leaderboards, you need a hundred carries. He was 11 shy. However, if he had maintained the same pace for those 11 carries, he would have led the entire NFL for all running backs in yards per carry. He had 5.7 yards per
2: mm-hmm. carry.
4: Yeah, to your point, I mean, he was effective in limited opportunities, but I think that stat about the fact that the Bills were 30th in rushing tells you all you need to know in terms of Josh Allen (laughs) doing the heavy lifting. The other name that I think is notable is they added Latavius Murray, who's been a quality journeyman over the last few years. And then there's Naheem Hines. And the reason why I want to bring him up is he's mainly a special teamer, but they lost Isaiah McKenzie, Sal, this offseason. And he was that jack-of-all-trades, shifty type of guy. How do they go about replacing him, and do you see maybe Hines' role expanding because he can be also a guy that catches the ball out of the backfield and do things after that catch?
0: I think right now Naeem Hines is really primarily just going to be a punt returner, kick returner. Um, I think that's going to be his role. The guy that I think is going to replace Naeem Hines in that role is Deontay Hardy. They went out inside him from the New Orleans Saints. This is a guy that can play in the slot. He can play a little bit outside. He could be a pick, punt returner, kick returner, but you don't need him with Naeem Hines on this team. Um, I think you're going to see this guy playing that role and taking on different roles throughout the offense. They also signed Trent Sherfield, sure. a wide receiver, who is mostly an outside guy, but he can play a little bit inside. But I think that's going to alleviate some of those issues they had with trying to fit guys in certain places to do different things for the offense because now I think they do have a little bit more uh, of those options. But, yeah, you'll see Naeem Heinz probably here and there on the offense run some plays, maybe it's some specially designed plays for him. But I think mostly Naeem Hines is going to be the punt and kick return. I think Deontay Hardy is going to be more of that gadget guy. But that said, to me, he'll probably get even more time than McKenzie. And McKenzie, we all love Isaiah here. He's a great, great guy. And, it's you know, it's sad to lose him from the organization for what he meant. But he never took hold of that slot receiver role last year. And it was really his for the taking. and It just never happened. So we'll see where that goes. And then you have Khalil Shakir who will be squarely in the mix for that as well.
1: So we have buried the soap opera story and decided to put it all the way into the middle of our conversation. Stefan Diggs, where does that situation stand now in terms of his attitude? Uh, Is he still unhappy with his role? Are there any rumblings up there that make you concerned? Obviously, we know that uh, Dalton Kincaid was drafted at tight end to enhance the passing game. So they will have another explosive weapon because that guy can do some big things for you uh through the air. Uh where where does this all shake out? Well first let me say we don't know
0: if he's unhappy with his role. I, I don't even know if that's the case. Nobody knows what he's unhappy about, Paul, to be honest with you. Like this has okay. never come out. There's been a lot of been a lot of, you know, sourcing and reporting and three degrees of separation. But you know, I'm right here, boots on the ground. I will tell you Nobody in the Buffalo media who's closest to it really has a handle on what is Stephon Diggs upset about. No one knows. It could be a number of things. It could be one thing. Josh Allen said it's non-football related. What does that mean? I'm not really sure. There's rumors that, right, right. There's there's rumors that he's upset that Chad Hall left as a wide receivers coach, or that he's not involved in the play calling or game planning. And then Tim Graham of the Athletic reported it has nothing to do with Ken Dorsey. So I'm not going to sit here and say he's upset with his role. I don't know if he is. I don't think he is. I think here's what it comes down to for me from just from the 30,000 feet view foot view of what I can see is going on. Stefan Diggs, let it be no mistake. He is an amazing competitor. This guy wants to win in the worst possible way all the time. I think sometimes that just manifests itself in the wrong way. And because he's doing certain things to get to that level, maybe if he doesn't see that everybody else is doing the exact same way as him, that he feels not everybody's, trying to win at the same level as him, which is unfair, right? I mean, because everybody prepares differently. Everybody gets ready differently. I think it's born out of that. It seems to me like last year there were some struggles at the offense. Second half of the year they were still scoring points, but they weren't, it wasn't really in sync. And then you get to that Cincinnati game. Um, the, there, there's a long drive where the Bills end on, a, on down. He really gets h- hardly targeted. There's a fourth down, a real key fourth down. He doesn't get the ball thrown to him. That's when you see him demonstrative on the sidelines. I think all that just added up to him saying, Basically, I need to be the guy. I'm out here. I'm trying to win. I'm working. I'm better than my guy. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But that has to man itself in the proper way. And that just didn't happen during OTA's minicamp. And he showed up, and then he left. And then there was confusion, and Sean McDermott didn't say he was excused, but the next day said he was excused. So nobody's really sure exactly what happened and what went down. But to get to the point of going forward, McDermott also said the issue is resolved. That's fine. It's, the issue can be resolved. I think the question is, what's going to happen, and is it resolved? If we get to week two or three, the Bills lose a game and Stephon Diggs isn't targeted or something's going on. Like, we don't know. That, that's why this is a bit of a story still, because Stephon Diggs has not told us anything and hasn't spoken to the media about what actually is bothering him.
4: Plus, you look at his numbers last season, and I know they dropped off to your point, Sal, later the season, but he led the team in targets receiving yards and receptions By a lopsided number. I mean, nobody was even in the territory of him. Though, as Paul mentioned, they do draft Dalton Kincaid. And let's face it, he's a receiver in a tight end's body. Right, And I think the narrative, Sal, surrounding last season, here's where I'm curious your perspective, that – Gabe Davis, his numbers improved from the previous season, but it just felt like he wasn't as much of an X factor as he was in that Chiefs playoff game two years prior. How fair is that, and where do you see the number two or the number three guy coming from? Is it going to be Knox and Kincaid, or do you expect Davis to truly bounce back and he'll be that true number two guy behind Diggs?
0: He's a really polarizing guy here right now, Gabe Davis, because there's so many really great things he's done um, and that, that obviously that Chiefs playoff game you referenced is one of them. And he still had over 800 yards receiving last exactly. year. Now that's not incredible yeah. numbers, but it's still good. And, you know, he missed a game, and he was dealing with an ankle injury all year. He's also, by the way, two years in a row now, including this offseason, he's won the Iron Bill Award given to the Bills player by the coaching staff who works the hardest in the offseason. This guy has Bills DNA written all over him and what he represents. But, yeah, you'd like more production out of your number two wide receiver in this offense. Um, I think what's going to happen here is – I think by bringing in Trent Shurfield, they're going to take a little bit of pressure off Gabe. Gabe never leaves the field, by the way. He's also their best blocker as a wide receiver. But mm-hmm. Trent Shur- Shurfield's a good blocker. And I think by bringing him in, you'll allow Gabe to do a little bit more of the wide receiver stuff than having to do the all-encompassing stuff. Now, Gabe also, his average depth of target, I think, led the league the last two years. He's He's running the longest routes those are the tougher balls to catch, especially in Buffalo. So I think there's a little bit of maybe unfairness when it comes to his inconsistencies. He's being asked to catch a lot of harder footballs than a lot of guys are, but we see the results of that. Sometimes I do think that Dalton Kincaid, however, is going to have a really big role in this offense. And because the bills, you know, like to spread it out and they're going to throw the ball with Josh Allen, they're all going to be on the field. Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis are going to be the outside. Dalton Kincaid is going to be in the slot. He essentially becomes your Cole Beasley replacement. Instead of having a 5'10", 175-pounder, though, there, you're going to have a 6'3", 235-pounder there, right? I mean, that's really what you're doing uh, at the bill slot. So at the end of the day, if you were to ask me to predict, like, number of targets, I wouldn't be surprised if Dalton Kincaid or whoever slot guy total, if you took all the sl- slot targets, uh, adds up to more than Gabe Davis. But I do think Gabe Davis is still a very big part of the offense. And look, guys, he's going into a contract year. I've made predictions I think the Bills would love to keep him and extend him, but, man, the money might be tough here with a guy that hasn't truly been a true uh, big numbers number two guy, but you love a lot. Like, how do you pay him what the going rate is if it's upwards of $15, $16 million a year? That's going to be tough, but I know the Bills would love to
2: keep him. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledana, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year,
1: Sal, I know we're short on time, so I'm going to meatloaf the defense into a three-part question. Give me a thumbnail if you can on each one of these three parts. Tremaine okay. Edwards is gone, two-time Pro Bowler, hundred yards, a uh, hundred tackles in the books every single season. They got to deal with replacing him. Von Miller comes back off a serious knee injury. We know how thrilled they were to get their hands on him. Now they want to see him get stay on the field. And of course, Leslie Frazier. Defensive coordinator, not there anymore. I'm guessing that McDermott's going to have a bigger hand in the defensive play calling.
0: Let's start with McDermott. He will be the defensive play caller this year. The Bills did not hire a defensive coordinator. There's nobody with that title on staff. They did replace Leslie's title as the head coach. Um, that would be Eric Washington, the D-line coach. But Sean McDermott is running the defense this year. He is calling the plays. Um, he is putting this on him. I'm excited to see this, guys. He's basically saying, look, this is on me. Nobody else. I'm going to call the defense. If this doesn't work out, there's nobody you could point fingers at. It's Sean McDermott. I think the other two things, well, let's get to um, the linebacker in a minute. Von Miller. Look, guys, Von Miller is just a freak of nature, right? This yeah. guy tore ACL in 2013. He came back week one. He's already cleared ACL-wise. He's just not cleared for football stuff. He said it's completely healed. He just needs to do football stuff again. He actually is targeting coming back week one. Now, does that happen? I'm not really sure. At his age? Could you expect you know, him to not be the same? Of course, right? We all would. But I wouldn't put anything past Von Miller. With this guy and his work ethic, you see him now. He's out there. He's walking around. And you know he's getting ready to play football again. So that'll be a big addition to get him back. The Bills pass rush really, really, really suffered when he oh, yeah. went out last year halfway mm-hmm. through the year. And then finally, Tremaine Edmonds. I would say, looking at it on paper, that uh, graph I tweeted out today that I um, you know referenced earlier, pretty much universally, Bills fans will say, that's the one area the team has downgraded, which is... Linebacker. Now, they've an all pro, Matt Milano, who's terrific, obviously, but in the middle of their defense, um, they're going to have a few guys compete for that spot. Dorian Williams, who they drafted, Terrell Bernard, they drafted last year, and Tyrell Dodson, who's been around um, for a few years and has started there, uh, here and there in spot duty, Bale Inspector as well. But that being said, this is where the Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott thing comes in, Paul and guys, which is, I think, We may see a different kind of defense from the Bills. I'm not really sure. It's really interesting to me. They signed Taylor Rapp, a safety, who could play all three levels. They're not going with a true, true middle linebacker who's a plugger. They're going with a lot of guys who are really good matchup guys, and that term has been used a lot. I'm really interested how this looks. Are they going to play more three safety look? Are they going to take – the Bills are naturally a nickel team. Are they going to take Taron Johnson off the field and use three linebackers but all athletic linebackers a little more? That's where I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they replace Jermaine.
4: Sal, as a follow-up, just to address the secondary, that was an area you look back at last season. Unfortunately, they just were hit by injuries. Tredavious White started the year on the sideline. He then came back, and Jordan Poyer, I mean, you got to give the guy credit. He battled through an awful lot, but he was in and out of the lineup. How much do you think the ups and downs in that department, then, of course, what happened to DeMar Hamlin, was a product of just the inconsistency of the personnel more so than maybe anything else?
0: Lance, I think that, the number one area the Bills upgraded this offseason is health. The Bills were the, were the most healthy team in the league for probably two or three years. And then last year it was not the case. And that's why you saw such great defense. And they were still very good on defense last year. But, man, the Micah Hyde injury just really hurt this team last year. Um, he gets hurt week two. And when you have guys like Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer who are so good together, two all pros. They've been together for five years, six years running. Sure. I mean, really, honestly, it's not one plus one equals two. With those guys, it's one plus one equals three because they're so good together, right? They complement each other. And then you replace with DeMar Hamlin, and DeMar is a very good special teams player. He's a backup safety, but he can't replicate Micah Hyde's role. And then Jordan Poyer was in and out of the lineup because he was banged up last year. I mean, that was a really, really tough spot. Tredavious White missed all of the season until Thanksgiving, came back from his previous torn uh, ACL, then really looked good uh, as they went on towards the playoffs, and now he's fully recovered. So that's going to be interesting to see him fully healthy back so I think health health is the number one way that this defense has improved from last year um, and we'll see it hopefully manifest itself back on the field I think Taylor Rapp, like I mentioned him earlier the third safety, the guy they signed the safety, I think that that's going to be a real big bonus for this team to say let's maybe take a little bit off Micah and Jordan's plate as the season goes on at their age to have somebody back there who can really do the job and we don't need those guys to play 95-99% to 99% of the snaps
1: Sal, final one for me I'm going to tie this around back to the Giants. How surprised were you that Isaiah Hodgins, a Buffalo Bills waived player, turned out to be what he was for the Giants last season when he got here? Also, uh, how much do you think Tommy Sweeney is going to compete for a tight end's job? We all know he's a blocking tight end, not a receiving tight end. And are you guys really looking forward to having the Giants come up there? (laughs) Because it's going to be a blast for us, I know.
0: All right, so number one, uh, very surprised by the how really the numbers that Hodgins put up, right? But not surprised by the fact that he was a guy that they could count on, rely on, that he would get a shot. I always felt that if Isaiah got a shot, he's going to be able to produce. He'll stick on a roster. He'll play. But, man, what he did, he did some special things. He put up some really good numbers. He's actually, he's a guy in Buffalo here. Fans are very upset that they did that. But, I, you know, you guys know the way this works. Every roster is constructed different. Isaiah just wasn't going to get that shot with the bills.
3: Right. He had to be
0: yep. the, the, the where he was on the roster. He would have to be a special teams player. And he just was not a good special teams player. He's not a guy you're going to put on kick kickoff to be blocking and kick returns. He's not going to be a gunner. So, you know, for that, for the bills, you know, fifth, sixth wide receiver, you have to contribute in that area. And he just wasn't going to. So unfortunately losing him to the giants. And now you see what he does, but he wouldn't have those opportunities. Good for him, by the way, that he's getting those opportunities, and making the most of it. Um, as far as, I know, you wait, you asked me about the uh, Giants coming up here. Oh, Sweeney, thank you. Love Tommy. Great hands, by the way. Not a super over-athletic guy. Uh, if you're asking him to run down the seam, he's not going to be beating many people. He's a nice blocker. He's got really good hands. He can help you in short area space to get a, a nice catch here or there. I just feel really good about it, the fact that he's going back home to New Jersey. Um, that's where he's from. Went to Boston College. So, yeah, it's really nice for him that he's able to do that, get an opportunity. I don't think he'll make Mike much of a – um Dent on the depth chart. But look, give the guy credit. He carved out a nice spot on the roster here for a few years in Buffalo. Practice squad, elevated, active roster. And this is also, remember, a guy who came back from myocarditis. He missed a whole season mm-hmm. with myocarditis, and he came back from that. So you know, the perseverance, I know Brian and uh, Joe Shane are going to love him, and they do love him, and that's why he went there and signed there. And, yeah, we're very much looking forward to the Giants coming here. Paul, I'm looking forward to seeing you of you come up here. Yeah, I will uh, be there. And Lance, you too. We'll get some chicken wings or something. We'll hang out, <laughs> right? But listen, um I think that a lot of Bills fans knew that that would be a game that the NFL would want to highlight in some way. Brian Dable coming back to the team he used to coach. You know, it's it's Giants. It's Bills. There's a lot of – there's a history there with the Super Bowl and things like that. And, of course, two New York teams, New Jersey, New York. You guys get it. But, you know, we're going to – we're we're looking forward to it here for sure. And um, it's going to be – I love the fact that it's an an early season Sunday night game, right? It's not – Late in the season, that's going to be one of those things. Yeah, it'll be chilling. You like it? You How do you th-
1: come on, Sal. We're sideline guys. You know that's always a big deal for us. Nobody wants oh, wait, to be comfortable. Right. Nobody wants to come up to your place in December. Let's not kid ourselves. That's
0: right. So I'm excited though that we get a, a nice day like that for people to kind of enjoy it, and you know be on the national stage. So, yeah, it should, be, it should be really fun.
4: Yeah, we don't want to repeat, Sal, of that Patriots-Bills game that you were referencing with Damian Harris from uh, a oh my few God. years ago <laughs> where the wind didn't cooperate. Before we let you go, Sal, I greatly appreciate the time in the inside. One other guy that I want to bring up in terms of a Bills connection because of the Giants' depth at wide receiver, we're all trying to figure out how are these guys going to battle, Jamison Crowder, who obviously has mm. special teams value, but I know he was hurt last season. and He spent some time on IR. Do you see him maybe cracking a spot open within the receiving core, is he more somebody the Giants going to look to as a possible return guy?
0: I would ask you how you feel about your slot receivers. That's what he is, right? I mean, can sure. he beat who? Paris Campbell, right? Wandale Robinson, right? I mean, that, Sterling that's. Sterling Shepard, who's coming to.
4: back from injury. Yeah.
0: Right. And and, and and I think they got those guys right in the slot for you, right? I think that's yep. who it is. Mm-hmm. I'm not really that's sure. fair. Um, but um, I'm a big Jameson Crowder fan. I think, guys, I actually think that if he hadn't gotten hurt, In week, what, four or five last year, he breaks the ankle. I don't think the Bills have the struggles they would have had that they did have on offense for the second half of the year. Things would have worked smoothly because the Bills were simply missing that middle-of-the-field easy button, and they didn't have it. Guys, that's why they signed Cole Beasley back at the end of the year. right? right. I mean, like, they were searching for something. They had to have it. That's why they drafted Dalton Kincaid to bring this conversation back around. Dalton Kincaid, as you rightfully pointed out, Lance, is not a tight end. He is a wide receiver in a tight end's body. They're going to use him like a slot receiver. They missed that. They would have had that in Jamison Crowder. I think Jamison Crowder could really have a nice role in that Giants offense next year, yes.
4: All right, interesting point there by Sal Capaccio. On the Bills Beat, sideline reporter on WGR 550 in Western New York. Sal, always good catching up with you. Greatly appreciate the time and the inside. Enjoy the rest of the time off before you return for training camp, and we look Uh forward to talking down the road.
1: Hi to the crew, Sal. Yeah, you too, man.
4: Guys, thank you very much. Always enjoy being on with you, and I'm telling you,
0: come on up for that Sunday night game. We'll get some wings together.
4: Sounds good. good. Sal, take care. Appreciate it. A pleasure having you on the program. That is Sal Capaccio with us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, a full breakdown of, of the Buffalo Bills. And because of all of the connections, it's interesting to get his take on some of the former Bills that are coming into the mix for the Giants. That's why Tommy Sweeney, a blocker, which is what we talked about in the offseason, Isaiah Hodgins, we saw his emergence up close and personal. But what he said about Jamison Crowder and that if he was fully healthy, he could have played a larger role For the Buffalo Bills, there. You
1: see, between Crowder's time with Washington and with the Jets, of course, he was here when he played right across the uh, other sideline of the stadium. I think I know what he is. He's very dangerous. He's a terrific slot receiver, and he's a good kick return guy, too. There's no question. Look, he destroyed the Giants when he was with Washington. I know that. Catches all those balls over the middle, too. He's fearless. The thing is, he's been in the league a long time, he is coming off of an injury. And as Sal alluded to, and you were very kind to uh, answer him, the depth at slot is is immense. There's they got a bunch of guys in that spot. Now I said to John yesterday when he was on the program with me, if Crowder should emerge as the lead returner on special teams, well, I think that's his best chance to get a spot. I would agree 53. with you, and
4: I think that's realistic. I don't think that's crazy.
1: Definitely, definitely yeah. could happen.
4: I mean, Eric Gray could be an option. We know they're not going to use a Dory oh, Jackson there. During so. the
1: media sessions of the spring drills and OTAs, they had six different guys back there. And
4: that was the same thing last year, too, if you recall.
1: And, and you know, when Thomas McGahey was asked about it, he's like, we're just trying guys. Everybody, you know, we're just trying a bunch of guys. Nobody has an edge. We're going to see how it turns out. So, to me, that's Crowder's best shot because I don't think, I don't think he can make the jump at slot ahead of a Campbell. And if Robinson and Shepard are going to be back quickly, let's not even say well, week one, but if they're back quickly, I don't see how I don't see how there's enough room for a fourth slot guy.
4: No, I'm with you, but I think the wild card here is the status of Robinson and Shepard at the beginning of the season. For example, and I'm not saying this is going to happen. One of those guys starts off on Pup, that could open the door for Crowder to get more work, right? Preseason mm-hmm. looks and Prove that he's more than just a return. And
1: realistically, here. as we sit here today, you have to be prepared that both guys could be pup in week one. Without you a have doubt. to be. Well, I mean, we're talking about you serious injuries
4: be. that the both of them are coming Without off Without a of. doubt. And everybody has a different timeline in terms of their return. We're going to open up the phone lines in a second at 201-939-4513. First, just want to throw out a few other things. The Giants did announce before we went on the air that they're going to have nine open training camp practice dates. You can check it out on Giants.com. The first one's going to be Wednesday, July 26th at 10 a.m. The last one's going to be Saturday, August 5th at 5 p.m. And there's obviously a handful of dates in between, but we are now official in terms of we can pen some dates Mm -hmm. into the book. I know Paul was dying to know, so I'm sure this is a huge relief for you.
1: Well, the NFL instituted a new rule this year, and you'll remember, Lance, there used to be a rule that you could not open training camp practice more than 15 days before your preseason kickoff. Well, that's no longer the case. They wanted to somewhat standardize training camp openings because in that first preseason week, teams play either Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or even on Sunday. Yep. So in order to standardize it better, the league put in a new rule this year And basically, to make it simple, if you're playing on Thursday or Sunday in week one of the regular season, you get 47 days prior to have your first check-in day for training camp. And then, of course, the second day, you actually have a practice. That first day, guys come in for physicals. They come in to just do their check-ins. Uh, they they get their playbooks. They'll do some classwork. They'll get the agenda. They don't actually get on the field except to maybe do the um, the conditioning drill, which is— But that's, that's not the, a typical no, workout. Day. No, it's the yeah. gassers. Sure. You know? uh, so that's why there was a holdup, and that's why the Giants' date, if you're going by past rulings, is different. Because if you subtracted 15 from August uh, 11th from the first preseason game, you would not come up with July 26th. You're getting July 26th as the first practice day because that's 46 days prior to the first regular season game. And 47 days is the day before when they check in. That's a new rule this year. I checked with the NFL, and I actually had that up on my Twitter earlier this morning and last night. Well, the other
4: thing, if you recall, and I think it may have started last year or two years prior, it used to be, Paul, if you recall, the NFL liked to stagger the start dates. They made it a whole, like, week event where this team reports on Monday, these two teams on Tuesday. Last Mm -hmm. year it started to go more of a standardized, everybody shows up at one shot on one day, let's get the ball rolling.
1: I think COVID probably had something probably to do right. with that. Yep. Now, there are some exceptions to this 47-day rule. Well, because
4: you have the Hall of Fame preseason yeah. game. Yeah,
1: and, and uh, the quarterbacks... Uh, get a little leeway on this injured players get a little leeway. The injured players have been around all off season anyway, because they have to get treatment. Mm-hmm. So there are some idiosyncrasies with it, but the basic rule is 47 days before your week one kickoff is when you can come in and check in with your players. And that's just a, uh, that's just the way it's going to be for now.
4: Few reminders before we head to the lines, giant subtle podcast, you can check that out on Giants.com slash podcast, as well as your favorite podcast platform. Speaking of the 2023 NFL schedule, it's officially out. Single game tickets are on sale now. Don't miss the Giants at MetLife Stadium this season. You can visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat. Also, you can take your fandom to the next level with a season ticket membership. Stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available available and the Giants official connected TV streaming app Giants TV brings you original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans Giants TV it's free it's on Apple TV Roku Amazon Fire TV as well as the Giants mobile app so let's open up the phone lines as we move forward here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue kickoff live Lance Metal Paul Dettino with you Jason's in New Haven he gets us going here on BBKL what's happening Jason
5: hey how you doing guys
4: hi you right what's on your mind
5: Thanks for taking my call. Uh, a few points. I think the uh, what you guys are doing with the teams we're playing this year is awesome. So thanks for uh, getting these other teams and uh, on the line. So just a few points. Um, of course, the Bills are super stacked. Um, I don't think we need to discuss them as much. But I will say one thing. I'm not saying their window is closed, but uh, it's, it's it's shrinking a little bit. I think they have a lot to prove this year. Um I'm a big Josh Allen fan, but, you know, facts are facts. Um, he, he's, I think the last two years, I could be wrong, but I think the last two years he's thrown like 30 interceptions. So um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we go up to Buffalo. Will it be an easy game? Absolutely not. They'll probably be favored by quite a few points. But would I be shocked if we went up there and beat them or stole one in Buffalo? I probably wouldn't be shocked. So that's my first point about, you know, about the Bills. Uh, second point, i um, Are you guys surprised we haven't brought Fabian Moreau back? I know we have a pretty young uh, cornerback room, but I thought he played pretty well last year. I'm surprised they never brought him back. I don't know if you guys feel different or the same as I do as far as Fabian Moreau, but I didn't know how you guys felt about him. I don't know if you want to answer that or you want me to just continue.
1: Well,
4: do you want to yeah, you want to tackle that, Paul? I,
1: I, no, I will only say this. They've got a host of young, talented players who they really believe in, and they think it's time to see what they can right. do. They want those guys to prove themselves and to earn a spot and and try to develop into something that they think is going to be here for a while. Uh, right. You know, Moreau, honestly, he was what you could call a placeholder. Last year, out of desperation. They, they needed a placeholder to give them a chance to compete. What Parcells used to call hold-the-fort guys, if that makes any sense to you. That's, that's what Bill okay. used to call that kind of player. A Hold-the-fort guy. He's a guy who, you know, he's not going to hurt you. you. You can compete with him, but he's really not in the long-term plans. He's a hold-the-fort cool. guy.
4: Yeah, I think they want to give this youth movement as much of an opportunity to grow. They drafted Deontay Banks in the first round. Cordell Flott, who was in and out of the lineup from injuries. Darnay Holmes is still relatively young. I think it's now time to see what these guys have to offer. Now, in the event, Jason, somebody gets hurt and you need reinforcements and you know he knows the system. It's possible you could bring him in for that. But I think going into the season, assuming everybody's fully healthy, they want to give these young guys the snaps and they want to see what they can do and the chemistry that they can grow into.
5: Absolutely. Okay. I have um, one more point, two questions. I'll take it off the air. I'll take your answers off the air so you get other callers. The first question or the first statement I will make, and I'm sure you guys know, um, I know, I know, Paulie, you're not a big fan. And you could tell me if I'm wrong. I don't want to speak for you. But from from listening to you for the last few years I know it seems like you're not a big fan of running quarterbacks would I be wrong in
1: saying that I that I, I prefer my quarterbacks to run to buy time and okay. to be very selective if they're going to try to run forward and gain yardage that that's okay. how I that that's really the most accurate way to describe how I feel about those guys
5: okay all right so I'm just thinking today I mean you guys know in today's NFL these edge rushers linebackers they're so fast I think you kind of have to have a quarter. I think the days of, uh, of uh, Philip Rivers and Eli, where you could just stand back in the pocket, I-, I just don't think that's today's NFL. I think you need somebody at least that could maneuver in the pocket or even better run. So that was my first point. The last two questions, I didn't hear yesterday's show, so I don't know if you guys um, talked about it or not, so forgive me. How many, I think the depths at cornerback, receiver, and interior D-line this year is going to be very fierce. Which I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. We haven't had that in a while. So the first question is, how many receivers and how many quarterbacks do you guys think are gonna make the 53? And the next question is, edge rusher that I looked into that I just found out is a pass rusher who I think has been very productive in his career is Robert Quinn. Uh, I've been a big fan of his since his days in the Rams. He was in Chicago. He was in Philly. I think he may Dallas. be another interesting. Yep, yeah, Dallas. I think he may be another interesting pass rusher who maybe we can. You know, I'm sure they want to give the young guys a chance to show what they could do in the training camp, but I don't, I wouldn't be, you know, I know people have talked about Ngakwe and Justin Houston and those guys, but Robert Quinn is is a very good pass rusher. I wouldn't mind him as a third pass rusher. So those two questions, and uh, I'll take it off the
4: air. All right, Jason, appreciate the phone call. One other thing I also wanted to throw out there, yes, Josh Allen did have 29 interceptions in the last two seasons. In fairness, though, he threw for 71 touchdowns. That's not a bad ratio. You got to take that into consideration, right? You know, if we're talking about a guy that has 20 touchdowns at 15 interceptions, I understand there's room for criticism. 71 touchdowns, I'll take 29 <laughs> interceptions. Pretty good ratio. But go ahead if you want to answer at least the first part of that. Well, in, ter- in, ter-
1: in terms of the pass rusher situation, I do think that it's, it's another young young, developing crew. They're, they're interested to find out, obviously, Thibodeau and Ogilari if they can stay on the field. And if both guys can take it up a notch, they believe that Tamon Fox has something to offer, and I understand why he showed flashes last year. They think that there's O'Shane Zimenez. You know what? He had he had some some good moments under Wink Martindale's system. Maybe Wink found the key to getting some more out of him. And I know he's thrilled to be back. So. Now, look, uh, Robert Quinn has a very, very respectable resume. My God. Well, he he's had the Bears single season He's had a record. number of great seasons over his career. And even at his age, you know, maybe he can bring something to somebody's table. But I think the Giants are much more interested in being younger right now, to be frank with you.
4: Yeah, I think it's a similar response to the question about Fabian Moreau at corner. Is Quinn going to break open the piggy bank? No. I don't think he will. I mean, he's 33 years old. If there's an opportunity that he finds to be attractive, perhaps. You know, he could join a team at the beginning of training camp. He could even join a team midseason. I wouldn't be surprised. Remember, he split last year mm-hmm. between the Bears and the Eagles. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, the Eagles made it all the way to the Super Bowl. Do you recall a Robert Quinn no. play? No. I can't. No. I can't think of a play where I would say, I do not. wow, Robert Quinn came through. That's not to say that he's not useful, but he almost became an afterthought. In Philadelphia, they were stacking up on guys left and right there. He's
1: also, at this point in his career, very one-dimensional. you know. And I think Wink is also emphasizing guys who can do a variety of things. Robert Quinn right now is pretty much a one-trick pony, I think.
4: Well, and once again, I've been on the record saying I think there's a lot of value to a third pass rusher. And I think Quinn could be that complementary guy, but... I think the Giants are probably better off saying, let's see what Zimenez could do coming off injury. Let's see what Taman Fox could do. Let's evaluate these guys. You get a quarter into the season, Paul, he's still out there. You're not content with maybe, some of the young guys? Maybe. I don't think there's any problem bringing it in. But we're so early in the game right now, I don't know if you need to bring in a veteran off the street to take away snaps and opportunities to evaluate some of these younger Look guys. Look at
1: it this way. If you're going to consider bringing in a third edge rusher, and he's got a long time resume or long term resume i should say it's not necessary that you bring him in now because yeah. he would be in on limited snaps he would come in with one purpose in mind and that is to work his edge he doesn't necessarily need a ton of coaching up robert quinn is the kind of veteran who honest to god he's going to wind up coming in late into training camp if he signs with anybody before the season or comes in after week one when his one-year contract is not guaranteed. Which is key. Okay. Or winds up waiting for the best opportunity that he sees fit and sits out even the first month of the season. Robert Quinn is not the kind of player, I don't think, who's going to be anxious to sign right now at the end of June.
4: No, I'm completely with you. Plus, I think those veterans, if you gave them the choice, they have no interest showing up for training camp, especially how many training camps he's been through and done that. With respect to wide receivers, and I think cornerbacks was the question, right, about how many you're going to keep. Just to give you an idea, this was the announcement of the 53-man roster last season. Mm -hmm. But remember, it changes 100 different times. But I just want to give you an idea. They wound up keeping, wide receiver-wise, they actually kept seven, but then it changed. I think six is a realistic target this year, okay? DBs they combined as far as cornerbacks is concerned. Let's see, they kept Cordell Flott, Darnay Holmes, Adoree Jackson. Would you consider Julian Love a part of the corners, or are you considering him more a safety? He was I'm a just safety. curious. Okay, no, because he's sort of interchangeable. Let's not include him there. Okay, so that leaves it at three. Then you have Aaron Robinson and Darius Williams. So they kept five cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. Maybe they go. Into the sixth category, depending on how they feel about their safeties and whether a guy can play both. Like Bobby McCain. Bobby McCain is safety slash corner. Maybe only keep five. Maybe Nick McLeod Bobby is in the same boat. Nick McLeod, too, who's an interchangeable player because he's been moving to safety this offseason. Sure, that may change the number. But I think five at minimum, though, is not crazy.
1: I think it was Len who made a comment on yesterday's program, and it was a really good one. If it was someone else, I apologize for not giving you credit asked us about the special teams factor. And we always talk about how the guys on the back end of the depth chart, especially in the secondary or at linebacker need to be able to give you something on special teams. Well, the question really is with the new kickoff rules, how important is kickoff coverage going to be? A lot of teams are probably going to shy away from even returning kickoffs. So does that component take on less of a factor when you're trying to figure out the back of your depth chart? We've always said special teams can make the difference. Well, maybe special teams won't make the difference now because you're not as concerned about it. It's possible. Sure.
4: I mean, it's once again, a big looming question. I think you and I had conversations about the new rule. And the one thing I posed to you is though, do you want to give the opposition reason something to attack to think about? And mm. until the guy decides what he wants to do with the football behind you, you as a blocker, you have to be engaged, right? Because you never know at the last second, the special teams coordinator could have given you the green light based on the alley that is presented.
1: Well, one thing I will say on special teams that you will still have to put a heavy emphasis on, that's got to be downing the punts. Because your punter cannot always surgically get the ball out of bounds. Most guys want to kick it in that mortar kick or the uh, the Australian, you know, kick, yep. the kangaroo kick and all these other kicks. You know, Feagles has to come in here and explain all the different kinds of kicks for us once sure. again. But... They want they want guys who can intimidate punt returners or down the ball inside the 10. That's where your gunners are still going to be important. Even if they get removed out of the kickoff game, you still need guys who are going to get down there in punt coverage. That's that's not going to go away.
4: I don't think it's going to impact in the initial stages, Paul, especially since, remember, this is an experimental year. Remember, this Mm -hmm. rule is not mandatory beyond this year. I don't think it's going to shift the mindset of special teams value because here's the other thing. When games come down to the wire and you do need to make a return because you don't want to just take it to the 25 or whatever it may be, there's always going to be circumstances where I feel you need guys that can tackle out in open space. Case in point, remember that Dolphins-Patriots game a few years back when Gronkowski was utilized <laughs> right at the goal line in Miami? <laughs> yes. Stunned the Patriots. You remember? So my point is, Paul, there's always going to be scenarios like that, I feel. That's where true. Where you need solid, reliable coverage, guys. That's why I think that's still going going to play a prominent role in the mindset of coaching staff we'll and executives. But once again, maybe they don't have as much freedom and flexibility to keep as much depth maybe at that position. But I think frontline guys, I don't think they should be concerned.
2: What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, And we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA six Man of the Year, Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's head back to the
4: lines. Hugo's in New Jersey joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Hugo? Hey, good
6: afternoon, guys. Hi. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, I was the one who brought up the tension between uh, uh, special teams and roster spots. Okay, uh, there you go. You go once the credit, clearly. Uh, it's so. been noted. Uh, of, of course, of course, I want the. <laughs> the, the, the reason I, I called is, um, Paul. On a couple of occasions, you've talked about uh, your strong belief that the NFL will expand the schedule to uh, eighteen games, mm-hmm. uh, so open up the CBA. By the way, I, I agree because that's an easy way to to grow revenue. And plus, seventeen games just seems to hurt my eyes when I look at it. <laughs> Um So So question for you is, what do you think uh, the player union will require of the league? to expand the regular season by one game. Clearly, they'll reduce the preseason by one, so mm-hmm. from three to two. What, what else do you think might be included in a negotiation to uh, go to 18 games?
1: Well, as you know, any time that two sides get into a negotiation, they each have a bunch of things in their pocket that they're going to give and take on. So I can't tell you what kind of yeah. hidden agendas that the union might have. But I will say from a outsider's perspective— when the USFL played 18-game schedules, they had two bye weeks. Yep. That would I mean, not shock me if we I saw think, think, two bye weeks in the NFL.
6: Yeah, I, I actually think that's, that's an easy one, because then that pushes the Super Bowl to the President's Day weekend, and I think that's an eventual objective of the NFL, to make it sort of a holiday weekend, not just a one-day holiday. Um, I, I mean, I have some other thoughts. Uh, I, I think the um, you know the unions likely to push for players' safety, and I think in the uh, context of limiting some of the reps uh, the players are taking in a in an expanded um, season or an eighteen game season, they'll want and plus to get a bigger if you're growing revenue, uh, they'll want a bigger piece of that
4: pie. Sure, but so, that involves for, for, also a completely new CBA breakdown, you have to understand. Mm, so, I mean, that's not just a negotiation. That's not a tweak. Yeah, that's something <laughs> that well, you got to wait for the current CBA to expire to get something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's a... They're not going to redo that. That's a yeah. big
1: negotiation point. You're not going to tweak yes. something in the middle not of the contract. Nope.
6: No. okay. Uh, because I, I really think sort of a roster expansion would be one of the things that that the player union would would look to get uh, as part of that.
4: Um, I mean, they uh, did expand uh, the practice squad, and that was carried yeah. over from COVID. But, you know, once again, anything you're throwing out here, I don't see them doing that in the middle of a current CBS. Not in the middle. Yeah, okay, I, so, I find so, that so, hard to believe. So, I mean, the, the other thing that I was going to throw out that you didn't mention is, you know, it's possible the franchise tag gets brought into this conversation too, but I keep going back to I don't think yeah. there's enough players – that are invested in the tag to make it a big deal for the entire union. I only think a small percentage of guys are impacted by mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I
6: I get it. So so the revenue equation aside, maybe we're just talking about things on the margin, like an expansion of the practice squad and the rules for activation. Maybe you know go from three to five times a year. Or something. Possible. Just yeah, they do that, that to of happen. course, yeah, yeah, to accommodate an eighteen happen. game schedule. Sure. Yeah,
4: I, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. Sure. Okay, yeah. Okay. so two bye
6: weeks. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's likely. All right, very good. Hopefully they go to 18 soon because I hate 17.
4: All right, <laughs> well, I don't understand okay. what's wrong with an odd number, but that's uh, maybe a, a whole other topic here with respect to the breakdown. I mean, it's real simple. They alternate. One year you have nine home games. The other year you have nine road games. I mean, they've made it work, and they've had a formula about the additional game. Yes, 18 would be nice because it would be a little bit more balanced, but yeah. Uh, I don't I don't think let me put it this way the NFL is not motivated to go to 18 games because 17 hurts the eyes of their fans. No. I can tell you it's that. It's a prime number. We <laughs> yeah. don't we don't like that. There you go. Well, something tells me as long as it holds up okay they will not be in a rush to do that and you know I'd also be curious just as a quick side note and I know in the previous CBA, which is the one that's playing out right now, Paul, they had an addendum that they could expand to 17 games. That was already sort of negotiated. I don't know if something beyond that was put into this current CBA. The reason why I'm saying that is I don't know if they actually have to wait for a new CBA to come into play to even entertain 18 or they can actually hammer that out.
1: I don't know the specifics of the language either, but I know there are a lot of people in the NFL who believe strongly that uh, we'll see it in about two years. And I
4: wouldn't go against that. I, I would think that that would come to fruition sooner rather than later. I just I distinctly remember they had anticipated 17 games and they worked out the language. That is true. I just don't know that was how far in. beyond that is true. correct the other stuff was put in. But time will tell, and yes... I think the writing's on the wall that phasing out the preseason. There's motivation, it seems, behind.
1: And that. by the way, as long as we're talking about rules, did you folks know that there's only one cut this year on the roster? Yep. It goes from ninety to fifty-three, right before the first game of the season. Okay, there are no longer one or two or three cuts as there have been over the yeah, last thirty to be and forty years. Seventy-five, then fifty-three. No longer. Now you're going with ninety players through all three of your preseason games. And only then do you get down to the 53. That's a little different too. I actually like that rule. Because
4: if you're going to have a third preseason game and you're not planning to play most of your regulars, you need the guys to play and perform. And it gives them more opportunities to maybe prove they can be claimed elsewhere. I don't know, you seem to be on the fence with that? You don't like it?
1: Yes and no. From a player's perspective, and, you know, usually I'm more on the league side of things, from a player's perspective, I'd probably want to get cut earlier so that I could maybe shop myself to another team before the training camp is over or before their final preseason game has been played so that I could still have a chance to make somebody else's roster. It's kind of hard if you don't feel you've been given a chance to make one team's roster if you get cut in that 53 all of a sudden well, maybe you don't think you've put enough on tape even during August that you'll get another chance. It could be a little difficult for some of those guys.
4: I would just say my counter to that would be I would think then the third preseason game, though, is probably your best opportunity to get on the field. And then you can maybe impress a team at the last second if they want to claim you. I will tell you this. It's going to be quite an adventure for every GM and front office across the league with the amount of guys that are oh, going to be hitting man. the free agent market simultaneously.
1: Like like Lucy at the bakery with the conveyor belt? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to keep up with it, yeah. Those cupcakes are Crazy. flying
4: all over the place. Yeah, No, because it's funny. I was on Sirius yesterday on NFL Radio. I was talking to Rick Spielman, former Vikings GM. Yeah. We were on together, and he was saying, GMs, they're going to be in for quite a rude awakening once uh, everybody hits the free agent market all Mm -hmm. at once because, you know, normally it's staggered.
1: So it gives you a little bit of breathing room, right? Yes. And the other thing about the staggered cuts is it allowed some teams to sneak guys through onto the practice squad. Teams were known to cut a guy in the first or second cut when they had multiple cuts because they felt as though, all right, nobody's going to take notice. Everybody thinks that in the last cut, you're cutting the guys who you were maybe on the bubble with So maybe they have something to offer. But if you cut a guy earlier than that final cut, there was the assumption around the league that you might be able to sneak a guy through, cut him, and maybe get him back on practice squad. That did happen on occasion, and I know that there were some teams that felt that way. Now there's no sneaking anybody because you're holding on to your entire deal up until you're 53. Well,
4: maybe you get lucky because so many guys are going to be out there that... The one you're worried about getting attention. Get lost in the Correct. trees. exactly. It, it's possible that actually could, works out to your benefit. Could. Under those circumstances. That's why, you know, until we see it for the first time, it's hard to tell. But remember, teams also, they're going to have to go through the waiver wire system too. So that's why it changes things that I think maybe you can retain a player that you didn't anticipate. Because remember, they're still going to have to go in order with these hundreds and hundreds of players. I know. Going out there. I know. Just something to keep in mind. All right, let's head to the phone lines, try to squeeze in one more before we wrap up shop. Wilson is in Roxbury, joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Speaking of adventures on the program, Wilson. <laughs> my, yes.
3: my favorite two buddies. How are you guys?
4: Hello. Well, right now we're okay. It depends on what uh, no, you have to say. Uh, so.
3: No, no, listen. I, I couldn't get to my over-and-unders last time because uh, we got into the state one, and I, I saw you— Lance was going to, you know, reach through the phone line and strangle me. So I don't want to do that to him.
4: Okay, okay. Well, well, we'll give you a limit, okay? We're, we're not going to listen to 10 <laughs> over-unders. So prioritize which ones you <laughs> want to throw see. out here.
3: No, no, listen. Fight quickly over and under for you guys. Real quick. Daniel Jones, 25 touchdown passes over and under. Lance, what
1: do you think? No, no, I thought you were going to give us yours. Yes. We've already done ours. Oh, yeah,
3: oh, I'm gonna, oh, I'll give you mine. Okay. We've okay. already done Daniel ours. Jones. Oh, okay, okay. Then Daniel Jones, twenty-five touchdown passes. I got over. I got two receivers over a thousand yards, including tight ends. I got that over. I got the Giants defense top ten under. I got the Giants office top ten. The uh, top ten offense offense over. I got over ten wins, and my the best one. I got the Giants making the playoffs.
4: Okay. OK, there you go. Yeah, we actually we put Daniel Jones at twenty nine and a half total touchdowns. That was our over under and we were split oh. two overs and two unders. But remember, that's total touchdowns. That's not just mm-hmm. passing touchdowns from that hey, standpoint. Hey,
3: hey, 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 Lance, real quick before you hang up, you think he'll throw twenty five touchdown passes? You think he would? He will.
4: Twenty five touchdown passes?
3: Yeah, yeah. Not I mean, not not. not No running, no running. No, no running, yeah, because, I mean, he
4: had, what, seven rushing touchdowns last season, right? 25 touchdown passes, I mean, you're essentially, you're asking him to about double production-wise from last season. I think he's going to be right around there, is what I will say. I think it's going to be very close Mm -hmm. in that category. Yeah. What about you, Paulie?
1: Yeah, I think he's going to be low 20s, 23, 24. I think 25 is going to be really close. Yeah.
3: So he's not, he's not going over 25. Ah, well.
1: All right. Well, I, guess well, I mean. So if, <laughs> if, if, <laughs> Sorry no, to ruin if, your lunch. <laughs> no, listen.
3: If he, go, if, he, if, he, if he goes over 25, you make a lot of
4: money. Let me tell you well, what, Well, you my may friend. make it based on all of these over-unders that you're.
1: Truth is, it doesn't really matter as long as the Giants win games. Okay.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I like to make, I like to make some money. I got you.
4: Well, we we understand. All right, Wilson, we'll we'll let you go on that note. Uh, Appreciate the phone call that uh, gives us a taste of what he was dying to throw out the previous week when we had him on and we won't revisit what was said earlier in that phone call you know, if you, you want to go back you can listen to the archives
1: you got to remember again we're both assuming that Barkley will be here he is still a huge huge threat running the ball in inside the red zone i mean you talk about
4: a threat for, well yeah that will impact p- perhaps potential passing opportunities, yes, opportunities too for the Jones. that's my point yeah that's yeah. my
1: point Bar- barkley barkley uh, you know to me he's he's still a double digit rushing touchdown guy when things are right
4: I said this last season, and this is what we'll finish up on, when some individuals were thinking Daniel Jones is going to get into the 30-plus touchdown territory. Remember, Paul? (laughs) Well, no, you chuckle now, but I remember, and I said, Josh Allen is the lone example you could give me who doubled his – Passing touchdowns within one season. It
1: does not happen. He had
4: 10 touchdown passes in 2021. To expect that to have gone to 30, I thought was really living in fairy tale Mm -hmm. land. Okay, so he went to 15 last season. 15 to 25 is still a very significant jump. To get 10 more touchdown passes is a significant jump. He gets that. I think you have to be very content with that. To expect 15 to go to 31-32, I would be very surprised if that happens. I agree. With that being said, that is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We appreciate everybody tuning in. We'll continue our opponent preview series tomorrow. We will look ahead to the Arizona Cardinals, and we appreciate everybody tuning in. Today's episode, a reminder, is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcasts. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Wednesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.
1: Getting ready to take on spring?